This podcast is brought to you by lineupmedia.fm. Because if you can tell me what your habits are, I can tell you what sort of a person you are. I can tell you what your future looks like. But like I always say, life is 10% what happens to you. It's 90% what you do about it. The people who are most effective in the workplace believe that their future is going to be bigger than their past. When people don't believe that their future is going to be bigger than their past, they begin to disengage. You're listening to The Circuit of Success, a podcast dedicated to helping you achieve success in every facet of life, only on the lineupmedia.fm podcast network. Now, your host, Brett Gilliland. Welcome to The Circuit of Success. I'm your host, Brett Gilliland, and today I got the privilege to interview my friend, Mike Weinberg. Thanks What's for having on? me here, man. Dude, this is great. Thanks for inviting me over. Let me, let me rephrase that. Thank you for insisting I come over. That's right. And not letting me do this the cheap way. Like when you got online. a guy yeah. that travels all over the world, and he, but he's only 25 minutes away. You got to get him in the office. We got to do it face to face. It's been a while since we've seen each other. It's so good how to see you doing? You. It's really good. Yeah, it's good to see you. It's fun to see what you've got going yeah. on here. So thanks for having me over. Well, we go back a long way, man. Back when we were uh, young bucks in different different industry or uh, same industry for me, but different business and different industries yeah. for you. I think I've gained more weight. You may have gained more gray. Although I, my, the guy that cuts my hair is like, you're about 30% gray yeah, now. So yeah. it's good. Yeah. I'm asking my person if they can change my cape thing to like a, a, a silver one. So it's not black. So I don't see it. I so think much. we earned it. I think, yeah. that, I think it's part of the price. You know, I'm freaking 50. Like, it's yeah. like I'm entitled to a little gray. Plus I think it's helped me raise my fee. I, I agree with that. Okay. I agree with so. that. So for those that don't know Mike Weinberg, you can see this book right here. He is the author of three best-selling books. And uh, check those out. This is the newest one, Sales Truth, which we'll dive into today. But uh, man, I, I always like to start with what made Mike Weinberg the man he is today? Oof. Wow. I haven't gotten asked that question in a long time. Uh, you know, I'm thankful for three parents, a dad and a mom and a stepmom that all love me and, yeah. and supported me and still do. Uh, thankful for uh, God's redemption in my life and uh, knowing that I'm accepted and loved, not because of who I am who I am and what I do, but because of who God is and what he's done for me. Um, uh, some good mentors early in my career that showed me the way and invested in me. Yep. Um, and I honestly love sales and I'm amused that I get to do what I'm doing now because I never envisioned I'd have this type of platform or chance to share some of my, my thinking and what I'm observing and that people would actually want to want to digest it. Yeah. So I'm, I am, you know, it's weird to say, I appreciate the demand for what I do, and I love um, the the flow of business. Uh, more satisfying is just the one-on-one -on -one conversation or the feedback from people that are taking the ideas I'm sharing and implementing them yep. and talking about the dent it's making in their career. Yep. That That's like what's getting me up in the morning. Because as you know, like, we work really hard. Yep. Uh, this is my favorite book, but it was the hardest to write because of my schedule. Yep. So the feedback is is the fuel. You know, that's, that's what's really got me going right now. So what, what was it like? Cause again, I, I jokingly said when I went out and got you in the lobby, I said the Mike Weinberg. I mean, so again, I remember you and I grabbing lunches. We were both just mm -hmm. trying to make a name for ourselves. And, uh, but now you are a guy that is wanted and you are a guy that gets a good fee to go speak literally all over the world. What's that journey been like for you? 
I'm still not sure. You know, and, and you know, people use the word. I watched the uh, we taping this the the day uh, after the All Star game. Yeah. You know, it's a lot of interviewing of these young kids that are you know have this huge platform, and uh, the guy from the Mets, you know, the home run king guy, he said, you know, it's surreal. Uh, it and I I think that's a good word. It hasn't all sunk in that you know that people know who I am or that there's this demand. Uh, it it's a joy. It's fun to be in demand. I I tell you though, the thing that's helped me most with my speaking is I'm a better speaker and workshop facilitator than I used to be because I go in with confidence thinking people expect it to be good. And because people know who I am or because the books have had success, um, it's changed my perspective where I felt like at first I had to prove myself. Mm -hmm. And now I'm like, I don't need to prove anything. Like the credibility is there. Just go bring value to people. Stop worrying about what they're thinking about you and make it about them and, you know, bring them value. So that that's helpful. But in terms of, getting stopped in airports which my wife it's happened like three trips in a row where someone grabbed me in an airport hey you're mike weinberg and i'm like shoot like that's weird yeah you know and it's not like it's not in public like it's not the grocery store i'm on a freaking southwest airplane with a bunch of salespeople. you know and there's so <laughs> You've there's been to there's, some conference or something right before, or there, you yeah. know and there's there's probably 50 guys like at my level of notoriety in the sales yeah. world so you know uh it's just interesting to go, wow, people, you know, don't pick your nose in public because, yeah. you know, social media, they're people listening. see you everywhere and they're paying attention. So it's kind of fun. And it's also a little bit daunting. So I got a question because I think I would put you in this category because you were a top salesperson for three different companies. And then you started this deal you're doing now, which we'll get into mm-hmm. later. But so rainmakers, people say they're born that way. Some say they are trained that way. What's your philosophy? It, yes. You know, I, and I don't know how, what your experience is. I'm curious for your take on that question. Uh, there's some innate things, you know, and you see a Mark Cuban, you know, or guys that we see on TV that have this incredible drive and this entrepreneurial mindset and they're fearless. Mm -hmm. Um, and they're not conflict diverse and we'll circle back to conflict diverse because if there's one thing that I've really noticed among top producers in the last few years, especially when it comes to the hunting part of bringing in new business, there's a, there's a lot of salespeople that are good at most aspects of selling relationship, uh, service, uh, technical stuff, uh, maintenance renewals, uh, you know, in your space, you got a lot of people there. They're great if you give them a a client, but they can't get the client. And the thing that, uh, I see gets in the way most is this fear of conflict and almost just looking to acquiesce and keep the peace and, that's a whole other conversation about, sure. about sales talent. But um, so it, it's natural. But I will tell you, I've seen people in mid-career turn into sales superstars. So I, I have to think through mentoring, through modeling, through coaching, through discipline, through practice, through reading, uh, there are people that have taken their game to the level where you would call them an A player. Yep. And I have clients that are very unique, some even bizarre who are at the top of the charts when it comes to selling. And they, they're not your prototypical salesperson. They may not be super attractive. They may not be the silver tongue devil. Um, some of them are even socially awkward, which is really challenging in a sales role, but they're top producers because they're so stinking disciplined. So focused on strategic target accounts. So they, they're, they know who to go after and they spend their time laser focused on the people who can buy from them or buy more from them. Yep. And they execute the process and they, you know, they don't get fatigued and they just work it and they're producing like crazy. 
which I think is strangely encouraging. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and, I, and later on, I'll, I'll, I'll share a little bit more of my favorite chapter where I highlight these two top sales pros, completely different personalities, completely different businesses. Neither are my clients. So I take, you know, zero credit for their, I mean, these guys are both top in America and making a gazillion dollars. And, and one of the reasons I wrote uh, so deeply about them and, and profiled them was because I want salespeople to be strangely encouraged that those people are not freaks of nature. Um, they don't have shortcuts. They don't have tricks. They work their ass off. Yep. They're disciplined. They know their business. They know their story. They know their competitor. They make selling personal. And even though they're both in their 50s and they're both uh, making a, a fortune, they're still so driven. Yeah. So you know what I'm saying? Like I, for, for the average normal person who's not God's gift to selling or so smooth, or like that's both of those guys. Yeah. And I'm like, that's your example. Don't listen to the nonsense online and stop looking for the shortcuts. Like, you can do this. So I, that was a really long answer to, well, no, I, I, I'm curious true, for though. your take, because you, you see all these top producers, yeah. and then you see people that flame out. So. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I think I go back and forth on it, because I think there's certainly things that you have to enjoy. Like, for example, if, if I'm a recruiting advisor into our firm, like there are some people that like they can't stand what they would call the chase, right? I love the chase. If I don't have the chase going on, I'm more stressed, right? I enjoy yeah. because I'm passionate about what we do and I'm passionate about how we serve our clients. I'm passionate about how, what our culture is like. So I know that person would have a future greater than their past, which is our mission, mm. if they're at Visionary Wealth Advisors. Yeah, what, what I love even the way you frame that is you're going into even, even another level of conversation about our motivation for selling. And my dad, my dad, and this is in the book, my dad sat me down before I moved into sales for the talk, you know, and this was almost as, awkward, sales talk. Almost <laughs> as awkward as the first talk when we were, you know, 12 or whatever. And uh, he basically said, listen, your motivation has got to be to help your customer win. Yep. And, and if you're always motivated to help your customer win, you'll win in sales. Yep. And I translate that and I, and I unpack it in a little more detail, but what that comes down to is what you just said. What's that phrase? Your future? Your future greater than your past. Yeah. Okay. You want to prospect and you want to hunt for new deals because deep in your bones and in your heart, you know that that client is going to have a better outcome and a better future if they're with you than with, than they're with somebody else. And that is such a pure motivation to sell. Yeah. You're going to benefit and yes, you're going to make money off your client. But if you, what you really want is the best for them and you're convinced, and this is my message to every salesperson. If you're convinced your prospect is stuck or they're trapped in some suboptimal solution or situation, doesn't the onus fall on you to actually do everything in your power to help right. them? Which means knock on a door, ask for a referral, pick up the phone, do the hard selling stuff to get in front of them. So you can say, hey, wait a second, I'm not sure you have the best situation right now. Let's talk about this. Let me ask you some questions. And when you're really authentic, I mean, really, when you believe that, people can smell that on you. Yeah. And you're the opposite of the used car guy or the stereotypical you know, trying to jam something down someone's throat. Right. So I, I think it's both. It's the drive. It, I'm wired like you as a hunter, but it's when you want the best, you really want the best yeah. for that prospect or that client. You push yourself even. Sometimes I'll take a deal, even if I can't fit it in my calendar, because when I talk to the executive, I feel bad for where they're at. And I don't want them going to some inferior provider because I know they're not going to get the same level of outcome that I'm going to yep. create. I'm going to work harder. I'm going to put more of my heart into it. And if I know I'm a, I'm a better fit, I'll take the deal because I feel like I'm, I owe it to them. Right. And similarly, and I'm sure you have this, there are times I walk away and I go, you're asking me for something that I'm not that good at. 
or what you need is not in the center of my strike zone, I can refer you to three people I know that are a better fit than me for this. Trust me. It's And you let it, that deal go and you feel better about yourself and it, everyone wins that way. Well, so. I think that's abundant, right? And I think, I don't know if that starts that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go with that. Because it's the scarcity versus abundance mentality, right? And I think that right now you're at a spot where maybe, however long, what'd you say, five years ago? Mm -hmm. this, this, yeah, five years ago, you may not have said no. Yeah. But I think you learn that with time and success in your career, don't you think? Yeah, well, and you're I, totally, but it's also a mentality that works even when you're not there. Because I see it even with some younger sellers or people that are in the middle of the pack. When they feel like they have a full pipeline or they really own their own sales process and don't just let the prospect dictate how it's going to work and they stop playing yes man or yes woman and order taker and say, you know what, Mr. Prospect, I know you want me to quote this for you, but I don't think we're there yet and I'm not even sure I'm a fit. We need right. to have more conversation. I need to meet more people. I'm not, I'm not sure I fully understand your objectives and whether I can put the right solution together. When you, when you back away, and you really own your process, I feel like buyers respect that. And they're like, oh, you're not desperate. You're, you wanna work through the best outcome. And, if, and I, I have this in my, in my own business. There are clients that are not, not interested. They just want the price. They want right. to know your availability. I'm like, you know, I'm not sure we're a fit. And you let them go. Yep. So it, 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 abundance, um, abundance is big. It is big. It is big because it, it, it not only is the appearance of abundance, which people find attractive, I think it communicates something to the prospect that I know what I'm doing and I don't need every deal. Right. And if we're not willing to work through the process, I'm sure you have this in your business where you yeah. just don't want every client. If right. they don't want your full package and they don't understand right. the value and some of the work you're going to make them do, it's probably not the right exactly. fit for well, you. I think right. the other word I like to talk about is credibility. And so, you know, you even asked me this before we started recording, you know, what got you into this? Like what mm. I'm doing right now, but, if you think about it, you're the 133rd person I've interviewed. That's cool. You, and, that's amazing that you're doing and so that. So that's hundreds of hours, right? Of either cool. research at night, you know, my kids go to bed. That's when I do it because it doesn't impact my day, mm. right? And then the sitting down and doing the interview. But that allows me to bring 133 interviews of wisdom and knowledge and, and learning to my clients, mm. right? So again, that future greater than your past. The, we talked about the founder of Lululemon that I interviewed yesterday. Well, there's a ton of learning there. There'll be a ton of learning today that now I get to share with all these other prospects for That's clients, really cool. for recruits, whatever it may be. And I think for you, the credibility is you can stand on a stage and say, I've been there. Mm -hmm. I've done it at three different companies versus all these other people that I may be opening a can of worms here that they just try to be these sales experts and they've never built anything. And it drives me nuts. Yeah. Well, I have so many thoughts. One, I cannot wait to see the episode with the, the Lululemon founder. <laughs> Tell me about that. Yeah. I assume that's coming out in the yeah, near future. Yeah. So that'll be, that'll be fun. But even when you talk about the experts and yeah, I mean, I, I have credibility because I was the top producing salesperson. Um, and there is no barrier to entry to be a sales thought leader today. You know, you need a keyboard and a LinkedIn profile and right. you could put out a ton of crap content. Take some good pictures. And but part of, you know, part of the motivation to write this book was I was pissed off. And some of it was righteous anger because there are idiots in my business who are preaching nouveau nonsense that's really hurting the struggling salesperson who's gullible. Yeah. And you probably see it in your, in oh, yeah. your world that, you know, they get their fee and they're they move desperate. On and, and yeah, and they, they, they're hungry for help and they're always looking for a shortcut. So when some faux expert online puts out an article, you know, preaching the easy button or the hack or the shortcut. And if, if you just tweet enough, 
you know, they're going to come running to you with money in hand. You don't, don't pick up the phone. Don't do the hard work. Don't knock on a door. Don't push hard for referrals. There's better ways today. You know, you can, and there are people even do what you, you know, they take this, this, what you're doing, putting out content and they take it to an extreme and they tell every salesperson, you need to put out a ton of content. You need to write articles. You need to be tweeting. You need to be on LinkedIn all day. And I get that to an extent, but what you do and what I do is not what the average B2B salesperson is doing. And it's, I, I caution salespeople be very careful when someone's telling you how easy it is. And part of what drove me to write this was what I was seeing with my own eyes in real companies around the globe in a bizarre, eclectic mix of, of industries. I mean, I've got a defense client. I've got a client in big data, big trucks, big distribution. And then I got a bunch of little software. I mean, it's everything from manufacturing to consulting. The top salespeople in those companies all are deploying best practices and approaches and behaviors to make them top producers today, very similar to best practices they were deploying five years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago. But that's not trendy or cool, and that doesn't get a lot of, a lot of print and ink or on LinkedIn. It's, you, get, you get articles or, or follows on LinkedIn and a lot of likes when you preach new trendy stuff and say things like, ah, prospecting's dead, don't pick up the phone. Because right. everybody wants, to hear, wants to hear that. They yeah. want it to be true. So, so I was pissed off enough to go, wait a second. <laughs> what I'm seeing top producers do is very similar to what they've done all along, and now you people are all writing, well, nothing is the same anymore. Everything in sales has changed. And I'm like, someone needs to correct the record and go, no, 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 no. I have real clients. Right. Forget what I did when I was selling 15 years ago. Right. Let me tell you today, across tech, and manufacturing and defense and distribution and software and banking and mortgages and, and pick continents. Yeah, it's all the same. So <laughs> right. so please don't come online and tell me I'm the new expert and nothing that used to work works because you're wrong. And that's right. really what drove me to write it, honestly. No, I agree with that. And I think sometimes that that stuff is, you know, I put a lot of stuff on social media as well, but that's the stuff you see. You don't mm -hmm. see the grind. And that's why I think sometimes yeah. where it's uh can create this falsehood, if you will. Right? Yeah. Because, you know. I get the bumps and bruises every day. I'm in the client meetings every day. We're prospecting every day. We're on the phone every day. Mm -hmm. That's the stuff you don't, you know, you don't take a picture of yourself on the phone and say, here's my, you know, 20th call today and look what I'm doing. That's Nobody right. wants to buy that. No, that's work. Right. Yeah. Shows up disguised uh, as work, right? That's right. And so, I love uh, it. I love it. So this race to zero, I think a lot of industries are having this race to zero and, and, uh, you know, they just want the client maybe. And, and so how do you articulate value? How does somebody articulate value? What makes me different than that person over there? Yeah, I think, so you go down the path about messaging. We talked a little bit about your approach and your motivation. That should play itself out in your messaging. Your, what I call your sales story is one of my favorite topics. A very popular chapter in my books and when I'm doing workshops, everybody wants help fixing their messaging. Because if you don't have a good story, if you can't articulate value, I don't know how you could sell. How could you pick up the phone and bang off phone calls? Or how do you even run a, a discovery meeting when you're face-to-face -face with a, a prospect if you don't have enough messaging to position yourself as an expert, as a value creator, as a problem solver? So I, I spent a lot of time talking about the elements that make a message compelling. And I'll tell you what's not compelling is what most salespeople do and they lead with talking about their company and its history and its footprint and its number of locations. And then they talk about its solutions right. and here's our product. And that does nothing but get you commoditized. And no one wants to hear you pitch the history of your company or how yeah. great you think they, you, they are. They don't care. They want to know what's in it for them. 
It's everybody's favorite radio station, right? Yeah. W-I-I-F-M. <laughs> so our sales story needs to be about what's in it for the client. We need to very quickly bridge into what are the issues we address and what are the outcomes that we create for clients. And I think that's how you articulate value. When you, uh, I'll, give you I'll give you a quick example. Uh, I do a lot of work with a, a trucking manufacturer, big truck manufacturer and, and their dealerships. Um, great guys, made in America, super proud, a lot of gearheads, um, guys making a lot of money selling heavy equipment, love what they do. But unfortunately, they're so proud of the product and the company heritage and this dealership they work for that's been in business for five generations. When they're trying to get a meeting with a fleet manager or they're in a sales call, they will say stuff like, yeah, our brand truck has been around 115 years and everyone starts with the serial number one because it's always been made right here in the good old US of A and our dealership is in its fifth generation of ownership and we've got 16 stores and I love these people. I've been here since 1992 and I want to die. I'm like, everything you just said is self-focused and I know you love it, right? but in the trucking world, there are three big issues and we all know this. Driver recruitment and retention, there's not enough truck drivers everywhere. Fuel economy, because it's the biggest expense for every truck fleet and then uptime versus downtime. All these new trucks have incredible software technology, telematics, the stuff, the maintenance uh, software talks to a satellite, which beams stuff to the maintenance department at the factory. It's crazy. Wow. Well, that stuff goes down all the time. Sure. So if you own a fleet of trucks, you care about finding and keeping drivers, how much fuel is it burn? And is my truck up or down? Because when it's down, not only do I lose money because I can't make deliveries, but right. my customers get really frustrated. So I say to these sales guys, why don't you stop talking about your dealership and made in America and how, how many generations old this thing is. And why don't you call someone on the phone and go, hey, right now I'm helping a lot of fleet managers who are struggling to find and keep good drivers. Is that relevant to you? Because yeah. if so, we have a couple solutions to help you. And right now people are coming to us because fuel economy is their number one concern and they can't stand the amount of downtime with these new trucks. If that's on your radar, let's visit. Hmm. The difference between, difference. oh, in my own business, I, Mike, what do you do? I could say, well, thanks for asking, Brett. I'm a consultant. I'm a sales coach. I do some speaking. I got three great books. Who gives a flip? Yeah. Like, that's all me, unless I'm talking to someone looking for a book or a coach that day. But if instead I said, companies bring me in when they're frustrated, the salespeople live in reactive mode and they sit on their ass waiting for a lead. And when they do end up finding an opportunity, they end up chasing it instead of creating it. So they're late. They don't drive the process. They get commoditized. They mm. sell on price. They're victims of, of leads being handed to them, right? They can't run a good sales call. And when I say that to a CEO or sales, they're like, they're like oh, ye, I have eight of those 10 problems. Right. Help, help me. How different is that than saying, I'm a consultant? No one cares. No, so, right. when you, so when you ask that question, I mean, obviously that's a big yeah. topic. We have to be able to articulate the issues we address and the outcomes we create. So let's talk about habits. I, I'm a huge fan of habits and, and I wrote daily and I underlined daily because uh, whether it's today in your world, whether it's in your you know career being a top salesperson or the, mm. the top people you see out in the world, what are the daily habits that you're seeing? And, and before you even go there, I, I say this all the time to people when I'm speaking or I'm consulting with a group this morning, I met with a team and um, you, know, you don't brush your teeth 14 times on Sunday, right? It's two times a day. And so it's every really single day, yeah, right? Really good. So what do you what do you see in those people are doing? Let me start with things that they're not doing. Okay, they don't get out of bed and check email before they go pee. Boom. Okay, and that's like I mean everywhere we go, we are 
I'm holding up my phone for those of you listening by audio. We are addicted and overconnected. Yeah. So, and I'm, I'm a hypocrite in some ways. I'm a recovering email addict, right? And, and social media junkie. Um, there, there's an entire generation of us now who live in reactive mode and we're addicted to being connected all the time. So the habit is they get up and they own their early morning. Hmm. And part of the way you own your early morning is you don't check email to see what came in overnight what customers have issues, what crap your company is assigning you, what some psycho executive wrote at two o'clock in the morning that right. they want you to answer first thing. Because if you check your email first thing in the morning, not only do you get distracted from reviewing your goals, whatever morning disciplines you have, exercise planning, uh, and then doing some high value activity. So it not only distracts you, but it messes up your mind. Right. Because now someone else is dictating your mood and your priorities, and that is a disaster. So, yeah. so the discipline that they don't do is they don't check their email. The thing they do do, top salespeople prioritize top of the funnel activity. I said this a second ago, but not as cleanly. Um, There are a lot of salespeople that chase opportunities. There are much fewer who focus on creating new opportunities. And the very best salespeople are fanatical about working the top of the funnel. And they use the early morning to do the hardest part of selling, which is scratch the dirt, make the phone call, do the research, send the LinkedIn note, ask for referral, do the email outbound. So they, they prioritize the hardest part of selling, which is starting a dialogue. And then they hold off until later in the day to do the service stuff for existing clients or to try to close some of the warmer deals. And it's totally counterintuitive because our sales instinct tells us I should get up and try to close my hottest deals first because I got to get those over the finish line. I want to win them. And then, so what we do is we actually start by serving our customers and we do email and we deal with customer service fires. Then we work our hottest deals and then we work, okay, well, those deals aren't hot yet, but boy, that guy's close to proposal stage. Let me see if I can move that one forward. And then with the, with that, there's no time left at the end of the day and, or no energy. And you're like, well, I'm not going to prospect for 10 minutes. So top people, they flip it. And they do the worst, hardest thing first, and they get it done. And then they always have a full funnel because they're putting stuff in the top of it. I'm, I'm glad to hear that because we have a lot going on right now in our firm. A lot of our advisors, I run a mastermind group every month. And we're, we're focused on what I call Focus 90. So when I walk in that door right there, I set my briefcase down right here. I go fill my water up. And, and people in our firm have heard this a million times now. But I, And then I come right back. My goals are in front of me. The five things I've got to do are in front of me, Mm. right? So if I'm reading my goals daily, I'm doing these five things that allows me to control the day versus other people controlling my day. And if I can win that 90 minutes, I win the day, Mm. right? Well, that's good. And I think that's what we got to focus on. And I'm just trying to get in our firm or other people that we talk to, win your 90 minutes, win your first 90 minutes. That's so powerful. That's a best practice. I mean, and anyone who writes from Michael Hyatt, who I'm a big follower of on productivity. Anyone who writes about morning routines and really understanding how to focus, that's a, that's a key. Yeah. You got to own the morning, own, own the 90 yeah. minutes. I just took all my, uh, my technology out of my, my, my room. Cause I found myself being guilty of that, right? You, you, it's right here. You wake up, you're scrolling through Instagram or you're checking emails. And next thing you know, 45 minutes has gone by. I'm like, this has not been productive for anybody. Yeah. And what good news comes in in the morning on an email anyway? Not likely, right? Yeah, yeah so. never. Right? And it's not like you're putting it off for a day. Yeah, no. You're talking about give me, give me 90 minutes. And if you're getting up early enough, 
you're, you still could be getting back to people by eight thirty, nine o'clock right. in the morning. You're Absolutely. not, this isn't, this isn't like we're ignoring clients. Yeah. I want everyone, cause I think people will hear this and they go, you guys don't understand my business. I, I gotta be reactive. And if I don't respond, someone else will take care of them. We're not telling you to ignore. That's a great point. We're not telling you to ignore your clients or service issues. We're telling you, if you want to be a top producer, you have to be more selfish. And I, this is, I, I talk about this in the book. I think the word selfish gets a bad rap. Yep. From when we're little kids, they tell us, oh, share your cookies, share your toys. And I'm like, no, top salespeople aren't, don't share. They don't share their calendar. Yep. Like they focus on what moves the needle. And they're really good at saying no. And they extricate themselves from low value tasks or they delegate or they hire an assistant. I think too, you just said this and it's one of my questions today, but is, is the power of no. It's something like in 2019, I'm working on. I just did it on a text message just a little bit ago. And, uh, but it's hard. It's hard so to say hard. no because you want to be liked, you want to be uh, involved and you just, you just don't want to say no to people. But It's really hard. Michael Hyatt has some really good, he's got a podcast on, on saying no and, huh. and it's, it's very helpful. Uh, and, and he's got even templates for how you respond to people that are asking for I want to just pick your brain or I want to do this. And he's like, you know, I, and I went to one of his, his free to focus workshops and, and basically summing up what he was telling us. And he, it was before this free to focus thing got really big. And before his book, there was only like 40 of us. And he got really personal. He's like, you have to be willing to say no to some really good things to make room for the most important people, the most important relationships and the most important tasks tasks. And if you don't, if you don't learn to say no, and delegate and extricate yourself. You're never going to be focusing on the stuff that you need to that really moves the needle with the key people in your life and the key tasks that move the business. And I'm like, okay. And he said, there should be no guilt in that. No, but the, 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 the phone and the constant connectivity, I mean, they're going to laugh at us. And I, I read a book called uh, Deep Work last year, a guy named Cal Newport. He's got a new book that came out about like total so, uh, social media abstinence. And he's, huh. he's a, you know, total brainiac, like, you know, George, uh, uh, Georgetown and Dartmouth and PhD. So guys like you and I. Yeah, just like, yeah, he, he not, a sales, not a sales guy. <laughs> exactly. Doesn't have my New York public school education, right, exactly. you know, like, uh, but he, he studied people and he, he basically was talking about we've become mental wrecks and it's, 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 it's not just ADD. It's the, it's the, it's the habit that we can't even be bored. We don't know what it's like to sit around with a legal pad and a pen, even on an airplane. The worst thing that ever happened to us was Wi-Fi going on an airplane. Yep. That was the one place I could bring a pad. I could bring an ink magazine or a car magazine. I'd be looking out the window and I would just start writing down ideas. Yep. Today, you got Wi-Fi, you got email. You're being, yeah. So it's what was precious, that tube time, you know, in a, in a metal tube isn't so precious anymore. Yeah. No, so. You're right. So um, talk about the, the days you don't want to do it, right? I'm, it's not every day a salesperson or you or me that you just get up and and I'm going to go run through a brick wall. How do you battle through that and get it done anyway? I'll give you two thoughts. One is about heart and one is about a, a thought process. Uh, I'll, I'll hold off on the heart one. The strongest focus that a salesperson can have is on how many opportunities they're creating and then which ones are they advancing. Hmm. And I think we get really caught up in busy work and how many hours we've worked and whether we're going to get to inbox zero and the, I, I've, and I can't stand micromanagement. And when people want to ask, well, how many calls did you make? I'm like, stop. We don't really care how many hours you work. I don't care what you do. I care about results and results are a function of pipeline health. You're talking to the right people at different phases. Yep. So the, the accountability question that I'm asking every salesperson to ask themselves to help you fight through the, the, I don't want to do it, or I'm distracted, or I got a lot of issues going on. 
These are the two questions I think you ask yourself every week and every month. And maybe for some people, they got to ask it every day, depending on the length of their sales cycle. Question number one, name the new opportunities you created from your proactive sales effort. In other words, in the last seven days, what did you put into the pipeline? Hmm. What did you create that's new, that's now in your funnel that you're working, that wasn't there a week ago or 30 days ago? And obviously, if you've won the deal since you put in, well, that's okay. You just count it. And then the second question is of the opportunities that you were working that were, that were already in the funnel, in the pipe a week ago or a month ago, which of those have you advanced to a warmer stage? Because hmm. I think we lose focus. Like there's only three sales verbs. Like this is all that matters. Create, advance, close. And my message is if you are not working on creating, advancing, or closing a deal, then you're doing the wrong thing. You're wasting time. You know, Brian Tracy, I don't know, he's, oh, he's yeah. got to be 90 years old. I don't know how old he is, but right. I mean, I've read a lot of his stuff. Most of it says the same thing. Yep. It's all good. Yep. I heard him speak, I don't know, 15 years ago. He still was using overhead transparencies. <laughs> yeah, that's right. But I was soaking it up. I had pages of notes. And he's the guy that came up with, all day long, we should ask ourselves, is what I'm doing right now leading to a sale? That's, that's the simplest but most brilliant question. And I tell salespeople, what if you set an alarm? And every 30 minutes, you actually asked yourself, is what I'm doing right now leading to a sale? Because for most people in our businesses, 90% of the time, the answer is no. You're not creating, you're not advancing, and you're not closing. So that was part one, yep. is to fight through, is focus on those verbs. Part two is, I think we need to engage our hearts because it is a drag and it gets tiring. Yep. And goal setting is huge, but the piece that I've noticed with some top producers, and there's one guy I was coaching that I helped do this, and I was like, oh, this was powerful. I think we need to tie really big rewards to hitting our big goals, okay? I drove here today in my big reward. It's parked out in front of your building. I pushed myself really hard last year. And some of it was because I wanted this car. I've wanted this car since I was 10 years old, okay? I'm 51. Like, <laughs> like you know what I'm saying? 41-year-old, right. right? And I played around with some nice expensive cars and bought them. But I said, at this time, if I hit this goal, I'm doing this one different. I'm going to order it. And I'm going to pick it up at the Porsche Experience Center. I knew I'm, it was I'm not, be a Porsche. I mean, you You've know, been a Porsche I, guy I, I, for I know. 20 years. And I've played around with them, but this was the first time I was stupid in how much money I spent on one. Yeah. But I set a goal that if I hit this, there was no pain in buying this car. And even my wife, who is so practical and was so opposed to this, was like, I get it. So I set the goal. I kept my heart engaged. And I'll tell you where I got this idea from. I had a client a few years ago who was one of the top guys in the country for a major firm. And he was just tired. And his company came to him and said, we need you to do this this year. And they gave him this obscene goal. And they painted this picture of him for him, what it would look like. He's like, Mike, I don't want what they can offer me. That They're not engaging my heart. Would you come back and coach me? Because I'm tired and I don't know what to do. And maybe I should change jobs. And once I started scratching back the surface, he was just a little worn out. He didn't really want to change jobs. But what the company was offering him for motivation wasn't enough to get him to do these behaviors to hit these huge targets. And I just looked at him and I don't, I don't want to say his name, but I said, what would it take? Like, what do you really, really want? Like, forget it. He goes, you know what I really, really, really want? I'm like, yeah, what do you want? Because I want to go to Italy and do this high-end bike trip through the Italian Alps. And I'm like, okay, tell me more. And it was some stupid ass amount of money. Like, aside from the fact that he drives a $10,000 bike, like right, the cost exactly. of shipping it over there. Right. And then it's like three weeks in luxury hotels and riding up and down the mountains with elite bikes. And he's like, my wife says no. And he had two kids in college. And he's like, I can't do it. And we, we, we did the math. And I'm like, 
what would it take for you to earn, like it was like two plus times what this trip was going to cost extra. And he did the math and he came up with a goal. I go, if you get your wife to sign off on that trip, would that keep your heart engaged? He's like, oh my gosh. Yeah. And like he got, he's like, you know, the chills. He's like, yeah. I want that trip. I go, well, write it down. So he went, he sold his wife on it. He wrote it down. He blew the goal away. He shipped his bike to Italy. That's he beautiful. stayed in those. And I'm like, so, so it was more than a discipline. Like, and that's where I really got the idea for this. Like you got to put the, the rewards in yep. and it works because oh, I'm, I'm not that disciplined. So I've been a guy that my whole career I've done that with the mm. reward type stuff, but I've also found for shorter term things, I have to have some sort of, uh, was it the carrot or the stick, right? So I've done, I've had to buy a, a coach I use, you know, God rest her soul, Jan Teresi Mokwa. Oh. Um, I bought her like an $800 purse one time because I didn't It was a consequence. Do, of, it was a consequence. That's so great. Right? And, and she would bring that person to our coaching meetings and it made me mad every time in a fun, With a big way. smile. Yeah, yeah, with a big smile. But So I've had to do the consequence, but also the reward. I think they work fabulous. And to your point, back in what you need to do, to do your normal life, but then that's really good. Up, yeah, you know? that's good. And just since you mentioned her, you know, a uh, great lady. Yeah. I only knew her a little bit. And yeah. she was a member of the Porsche club here in St. Okay. Louis. Yeah. And just she, for those of you who don't know, she just died in a freak accident in yeah, totally a, a couple of years, accident. barely two years ago. I don't yeah. even know how long, but terrible. Uh, so sad, sad. So stuff. talk about it all shows that life, you know, it's a reminder like that like I, I, you know, I don't want to get all emotional here, but yeah. it's, you know, we have friends in our life that have young folks that have cancer and yeah. people who have died tragically like, like she did. And, um, it's a reminder to, to love well, to forgive quickly, yep. to, uh, to not live in fear and to, to go for it, yep. honestly. So, and you just said the word out where I'm going yeah, with go this fear. And so, uh, every guest we talk about this, but over the years, I'm assuming you've put some fears in your mind. How many of those fears actually blew up to the magnitude you put them in your mind to be? Probably none. <laughs> and that's the answer. And I'm, and I'm a worrier, says, right? you know, yeah. and, uh, it's funny. I have a friend, a pastor friend, and he says, uh, when you really worry, it's like shaking your finger at God and you're holding up your physical. I don't trust you, mm. you know, and uh, the amount of energy that I've expended, I'm wound pretty tight. Uh, worrying about stuff is so stupid. Right. Because it's such a waste. Yeah. You know? And they've never blown up. No, no. And you can't do anything about it anyway. And, right. and, and you know what? I've had bad stuff happen. Stuff does blow up. Yeah. And you're like, okay, what am I going to do? You deal with it. Adapt. What's that line from adapt, improvise, overcome? Yeah. Sometimes it's even more fun. But no, I am... I, a mental wreck when it comes to that kind of thing. So, um, talk about like, so what would you tell yourself if you had to go back and you said you're 50 or 51, mm. um, what would you tell the 35 or the, even the 40 year old Mike Weinberg? What, what advice would you give that guy right now? Go with your gut. The, the, the decisions in my life that I've screwed up is when I went against my gut. Mm. Uh, if you, if you know, I don't know if this applies to everybody, but in my life, I, there's times when I knew something was wrong and I went along yep. and it ended up blowing up, yep. you know, and there were times I thought I should do this and I didn't. And it was a great ride. You know, I missed a great ride. So it would be trust yourself and go for it. Yeah. So I had a, a business coach, uh, Matthew Kelly, if you're familiar mm. with Matthew Kelly is a phenomenal author and, and speaker and all this stuff. But he said, so take your, take your life. For example, you're 50 years old. And if, if it was a stock, and this stock has continually produced results for 50 years, would you buy that stock? Mm -hmm. right? You're the stock, right? And mm -hmm. so when are we going to start trusting ourselves? I'm 41. So when am I, when am I going to trust the 41-year-old Brett? When are we going to trust the 50-year-old that has produced results throughout our lives? 
What I've never heard it asked. I've never heard it said that way. That's so healthy. It's so true, right? It's just affirming. You know, it's it's like reading positive affirmations. Like, right. look at the track record. You've done well, right? right? Let, let's let's bet on yourself. Yeah. Let's and inv- and that's the other message, people. Invest in yourself. Yep. And obviously, you you're a huge proponent of coaching, and you've probably spent a lot of money on coaches. Yeah. Um, I want to know how much. I I, I probably you don't know. I'll tell, <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you one coaching story that this will be I think encouraging to your to your audience. It's like six years ago, maybe almost seven. My first book's coming out. And I'm just trapped in my business. Like I've hit the wall on consulting and I don't really understand how to build a scalable consulting business without hiring a big staff. And I didn't want to do a firm. And there's a guy in my industry who is the expert in boutique consulting. And uh, I had read his stuff and I'd been to some of his cheaper conferences. And uh, I'm like, this guy knows what this business and my book's coming out. I got to figure out how to leverage this or I'm just going to be on this treadmill. I'm never going to have the breakthrough results I want. And this, this particular expert in my industry that was the perfect guy came out with a personal coaching program and it was very expensive. I mean, it was like $18,000 for five months. Yeah. It was a lot for an individual to pay. Sure. And I looked at him and go, that's a lot of money. And I called my best friend, uh, Rob, uh, who's actually in the book. And, uh, and I said, I need your advice on this. And he listened to me talk slash wine slash hedge for... <laughs> About two here's minutes. Why I shouldn't do it. Yeah. And here's what he said. He looked. He didn't look at me. He was on the phone because he lives up north. And he said to me, Weinberg, you cheap bastard. He goes, I'll tell you what. And he was really. You can see he's trying to make a point here. He goes, I'll write the check for eighteen thousand dollars. And I'm like, really? And he said on one condition, mm. that for the next three years you pay me half of your increased income from what you're going to get from this coaching. Because he knew it was the right guy. Right. And I'm like, okay, thank you. That's what I needed to hear. Yeah. Hung up the phone. Called the guy, gave him my credit card, I mean, paid the eighteen thousand right. dollars. Before our first coaching call, I changed my behavior because I had skin in the game. So I was like, I just plunked down what was felt like a lot of money, a lot of money, a lot of money for one guy to get coaching from one other guy. Yeah. But I knew part of what he was going to tell me because I've read his stuff, and it, I just needed him to jam it home. And and yeah. and I changed my behavior immediately. And you know, my business is probably I don't want to exaggerate five times the size it was of that seven years ago. So, I mean, and that was one investment, you know, and there've been many along the way, but it's just, it's, it's a message to people that. Let's your trust your gut thing. Trust your gut and winners. And I, but I needed a friend to tell me, don't wimp out here. He's like, I believe in you. Like he looked at me, basically we holding my mirror as a friend, like in love, I could get emotional, you know, choked up saying, but he's like, dude, don't be an idiot. Invest in yourself. Of course you need this advice. And if you don't, I believe in you enough, but you're going to pay me back handsomely. Yep. Like, I mean, I would have owed him a million dollars. I mean, I don't know what right. I would, what would I have right. paid for that $18,000 yeah. loan, you know? No, you're absolutely so right. it was just, uh, you, you need to be pushed. I, and I, I just admit this. I don't coach myself well. Yeah. I can walk in someone else's office and I can ask a salesperson three questions or a CEO and point them. And I'm like, oh my gosh, can I coach? Well, sometimes taking my, our own medicine. I don't even see myself right. Yeah. I, I, you were, we're, we're fools. We're idiots. We're, totally clouded when we look in the mirror. Yeah. yeah. Well, that whole fear question. I mean, I, I have these stupid fears I put in my mind that never yeah. blow up to the magnitude. I put them in my own mind to be, but yet 133 people now have told me, well, none of them have blown up. Right? You, asked just, every, you, asked, you asked everybody. Every that. single person. Mm-hmm. Literally, I think I maybe have had one person say, well, a few of them blew up. But even yeah. then when they do blow up, quote unquote, blow up, the, the, how we handle that blow up is completely different than how we thought we were going to handle yeah, it. Yeah, it's really good. You know? All right, so. that's, my, that's my nugget from this. I like it. Yeah. 
I like it. If right. I can te- teach Mike Weinberg anything. Is there a fee for this? Am I paying? There is. Actually, Am I paying? Because yeah. that was a really good takeaway. It's take actually $18,000. Right, it's good. All right, I'm in. Yeah. I'm in. <laughs> um, talk about transparency and vulnerability. How important is that? Why'd you ask that? It's interesting. Um, I think, especially for males, I think it's very hard to be transparent and vulnerable. Mm. And I just literally had this discussion last night with my 11-year-old. He was laying in bed and... and he was mad about something and we talked and he was very transparent with me and i and i stopped which is again not maybe a strength of mine but is to to slow down and say you know what i appreciate you being transparent with me Mm. it it made us closer it made us he was vulnerable with his feelings and i just want him to know as as an 11 year old boy that it's okay to be transparent and vulnerable and i think in our society we don't do enough of it no boy that's really good yeah i i I think it goes along with authenticity there's a, especially in the, in the facade of the social media world where everyone's putting up pictures yeah. of all beautiful things. If you can really be honest and share, and I think right. mental health, and I'll just put this little sidetrack in because we all have people in our life that there were mental health is an issue. Yep. And, and I've got some friends that are in deep, whether it's them or their kids, um, where they're, you know, at the level of crisis almost. Right. And there is such a relief for people that are struggling with whatever it is or depression where they know I'm not alone and because other people are being transparent about their, their challenges that, that they feel free to ask for help instead of going down potentially a very tragic path. So I think that's, that's part of it. I, I think in the business world, um, there's just this general fear of transparency because you're going to get found out. One of my mentors, a guy named Dave Kenzel, brilliant consultant, uh, he told me, he consulted a ton of CEOs, especially privately held companies. Every CEO's fear is of being discovered. That someone's going to figure out, I'm not really good enough. I don't really know what I'm doing. How do I, what do I, what am I even doing in this job? Even if it's my family business. For sure. Right. And uh, he goes, that's the beauty of understanding that we're all broken and we all have needs and that no one's got their act together. We're all a work in process. And people who are transparent and are willing to ask for help or are really vulnerable with their friends benefit because then they get real love and they get, uh, people who are willing to come along and compliment their weaknesses, right. you know? So I don't know if that's a, that's a great answer. I'm, I'm trying in my own world to be more transparent uh, with my clients and even online when I put out content, yeah. whether it's a struggle or it's a success or it's a family thing or it's a faith uh, to say, this is who I really am. And it's okay if you're not with me on that, you know, because I right. think, I think right. that and this is a separate topic and I, I get into the politics of the election in the book, but, where we're going next. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll just seed it. Um, this country's lost its mind. Yeah. Like, there's no more civil conversation. You're not, you're not wrong or on the other side of the table. You're my enemy and you're evil. Like, how did we get to this place where we don't even have dinner with people that have different views from us? So it's, we've, it's crazy. So I, I, it's a long, long circular answer to transparency. Um, I just appreciate, I appreciate people who tell me the truth yeah. and who are willing to call me out. And I wrote an article I don't know, two summers ago when Jordan Spieth, uh, the golfer, had a comeback, oh, yeah. comeback win in the British Open. Great article, too, by and the way. And he's struggled since then. You yeah, know, he, he has. But uh, it, was, you know, on, it was early on in the round, is the final round, and he it was like the second fairway, I think, and he, he got a bad lie, bad break, hit a good ball, just it didn't work out. And he started bitching and moaning, and his caddy like, grabbed him and go, stop it. Like, mm. you have 150 yards, whatever the thing was, to the right. stick. Let, let's talk about what club, and let's make a good shot. So it's like he called out his boss in the middle, like on, on BS. And he's like, don't whine right now. I need you to focus. 
And then later on in the same round, so there was one where he, he punched him. Later on in the round, Spieth was struggling and really doubting himself. And the caddy reminded him, walking to one of the next holes, he goes, remember last weekend you were away with like Michael Jordan and Michael Phelps and these other like world-class athletes? And Jordan Spieth's like, uh-huh. He goes, you belong in that group. Go hit this shot. I need you to believe mm. that that's who you are right now because we're going to win this thing. Like, you know, because they're not talking like that. I'm getting the chills, yeah, like saying that. So in one in one hole, he's telling him the truth and love, kicking him in the ass. And then later on, he's telling him, you're the, you're, you're the greatest there is. Yeah. You can do this. And like, who in our life is, is playing that role? Because yeah. we are not Lone Rangers and we need that type of support. Yeah. So well, I think people are afraid of the challenge. And I, and I ask this question a lot to people, but if I had, and you don't have to name this, but if I were to ask you, name the one or two people that have challenged you the most in your life. Mm. What's also the level of love they have for Mike Weinberg? In oh, it's high. Yeah. it's high. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's high. But I think sometimes I'm guilty of it. Cause like, you know, I grew up, we, not a lot of conflict, all this stuff. And so it's like, I don't want to go there with some people, but yet the people that Ooh. love me the most are the ones that would challenge me the most. Yeah. You're moving me. You're making me think. And I, I, I'm almost coming up with a few names in my head where I probably need to go remind people that I need them and that I can, I can be more transparent Yeah, because it's hard. It is hard. And people only see, and I'm sure it's in your world, you know, they see the success and you're running and you're grooving and you got this nice firm and everyone, yeah. you know, we're on doing this. Uh, it doesn't mean there aren't struggles and right. faults and you need help. And that is so it's good. Yep. So uh, talk to us about this book. Why is it uh, such a, a passion for you? Uh, I'm a truth teller. And if, if there's something that I'm good at, I think I figured this out while writing this book and just some feedback I got is that, I can take what looks complex and make it sound simple and I can call out the nonsense in a pretty succinct way and they say, no, that's not real. Let me show you what's real. So this is the book I most wanted to write and it's a message I I felt like the sales community most needed to hear. I mean, there's some how-to in this book, but this is not my how-to book. My first two books were how-to books, one for salespeople, one for sales leaders. This is like, let me tell you what's really happening because I'm in all these companies and I'm seeing all these salespeople. Here's what the people that are crushing it are doing. Why don't you copy that? And by the way, here's a lot of the nonsense and the false theories that people are preaching. That's real popular. Can I, can I point this out and highlight it? Because I, and I give them some egregious true examples of the nonsense that's passing for sales advice and nobody that reads it would think, well, that's not credible but the people that put that nonsense out are, are, are follow, have huge following. So I, I want salespeople to read this because it's going to set them free from being trapped with false beliefs about what works and what doesn't work in sales. And it's funny you say that because I just, I watch, I'm a, I like Matthew McConaughey. I think he's a smooth dude. Right. And I didn't know this, but for some reason it showed up on social media somehow. And then it w- I went to YouTube. I've been watching this 40 minutes on a drive yesterday. A, uh, he spoke, I don't know when it was, could be years ago. But he spoke at a graduation. Really? And it's phenomenal. If you haven't listened to it, just Matthew McConaughey, motivational speech. There's 13 things he talks about. He's sitting on a booth at a, at a deal. And he, and he says, one of them is, you can't own the truth. Right? So when I see sales truth, and it made me think today, you can't own that truth because it's just true. Right? Pick up the phone. Go get a relationship and build the relationship. Right? I mean, on and on and on yeah, and on. it's... You didn't write. I mean, you wrote the book. No, I didn't make up any truth. Yeah, I'm only sharing what I'm seeing. Yeah, and uh, and I and I this is this is where it gets weird. Um, there are people that are real and have real business and have real clients, 
And then there are people that are at home in their basement writing articles. Right. And I, I did my best to point out, you can tell right. who's, who's who when you, when you're, when you're, when you're trying to discern who to listen to. Yep. So it's, it's a challenge because it's a big business and there's a lot of people that have agendas. And one of the comments I made in there, it's, you need to be very careful because some people are completely untethered to the truth because their livelihood depends on the agenda that they're sharing with you. Mm. They have a sales process where they have a tool right. and they make a living by selling you that process or training for that process or that tool. There are a right. thousand sales tool vendors right now trying to convince you, you don't have enough sales because you don't have my tool. And I can tell you, I have never met a company or a salesperson or a sales team who's struggling to pick up business because they don't have a tool. Right. Like, not one. There's nobody failing because they haven't adopted a new process. In your whole world, I mean... Right, no, the, you're right. The, I don't know how many salespeople you've been around, thousands? Yeah. In big companies and in yeah. what you're doing? I mean, so, right. so I, I'm, it's a caution to be careful of people that have an agenda. I don't own a sales process. I just want people to use every available and ethical means necessary yep. to have success selling. So that's that's kind of what motivated yep. me to do this. I like it. Yeah. So where do our uh, where do our listeners find more of Mike Weinberg? Where are you at? Uh, online, uh, my site is mikeweinberg.com, W E I N B E R G. Um, I'm pretty active on social channels, Twitter, Instagram, at uh, Mike underscore Weinberg, and then book the stuff. Uh, Amazon's probably the best place because yeah. you'll get it tomorrow. You get it tomorrow, and then you know they, you know Barnes and Noble. There are zero reviews for books. Huh. Like, so if I go and look, I mean, I, there are really. It, it's not surprising why Barnes and Noble struggles. Yeah, I've tried to support them. I've tried to help them. It's, it's amazing. They're just not interested. Huh. You could be a number one bestseller on Amazon and not even get inventory placed at a retail bookstore. And you're like, well, I guess you guys have given up. Right. So Amazing. it's weird to have to say that, but I've tried and it's, it's, it's like fruitless. So, so MikeWeinberg.com, check him out there. Last question for you, my friend is, uh, what do you wish you had more time to do? What do you, what are you passionate about? Oh, I need to be a better husband and, uh, spend some more time just playing. My wife wants to play more golf and just be involved with more people. And it's, it's the discipline of going, okay, you've worked enough. And you know this, right? right. When you work for yourself, sometimes it's the worst boss because it's, you never want to put it down. So and like tomorrow challenge. and Friday, I'm taking a staycation and I'm stressed to the max. Are you really? Because I'm taking two days. Normally I take days off and maybe it's a charity golf tournament or I'm going actually right. on vacation. But I talked to my wife today. I called her. And I'm like, what are we, what are we going to do for two days? We're like, oh, we'll put the list together tonight. But it's it's funny, right? Because yeah. you, you're so sometimes hard charging, but it's going to be a great use and of And will time. you be able to turn it off? Will you I will. disconnect? You won't be checking email for one. I probably won't. Your assistant and the team will get it covered. Yeah, and that's and that's gotten better. If something happens and I'm you know needed, obviously they know where to find me. But yeah, yeah. and I'm in the same situation where it's 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 really just choice. Yeah, yeah, and that's and it's it. Some of it is, and Michael Hyatt's been really helpful with this. Back to him again. But um, when you rest and you recharge, you're better for work. You know, you you need to get away. You need to fly fish. You need to take your your car and go for the ride. You need to go for the run because that gets you thinking. And that's healthy. So I said, I lied. I said it was my last okay. question, but you made me think of two things is I'm a huge thinker and I'm a huge reader. Uh, how important are those things to you? Yeah. I'm, I become a better reader. I'm also using audible more now to supplement. <laughs> yeah. So I'm doing audio, but I, I had a couple of books that I've read in the last year. I never would have, and they, they weren't sales either. Yeah. You know, is that free to focus book? Yeah. Uh, that deep work book by Cal Newport that, I mean, radical. My assistant picked that book for me. Hmm. She's like, I'm worried about you. You are too busy and you're working on too much nonsense. I need you to go deeper on the projects you care about. 
like talk about a great assistant. Oh, man, like yeah. she knows my weaknesses. And, right. she's like, and she picked the book and said, I did the reviews. I'm buying this. You're going to read it. We actually did the Audible. And uh, it was really, really helpful. Deep, um, deep work. Deep work. And deep I'll, work. I'll share another one. John Gordon has become like oh, yeah. one of my favorite followers. Mr. Positivity. Yeah. And you know, he's like the coach to Dabo Sweeney now. Right, like like right, right. when you're coaching the best coaches, you he's must. He's been on the circuit of success as well. Really? Fellow, fellow guest with you. Oh, I need, I need to go find that yeah, episode. I, yeah. I think the world of him. And uh, I, I just, I trust his values. And I read his little book, The Energy Bus. Phenomenal book. And I'm like, come on, this is going to be cheesy. My friend in Charlotte, North Carolina said, no, read this book. Yep. And it took a couple of days. And I read this book. I'm like, I needed this. It was like, boom. You know, you know who should read as your kids. I've had yes. my 13 year old really? read that book. Oh, it's perfect yeah. for them. It's because it's an easy read, but it's just a phenomenal book. One of the, so. It's one of my mantras. He tweeted this uh, a couple of days ago and I, I put it out again. Uh, the, the, the mindset that says, I get to do this, yep. not I have, have to, to do this. And I, that's changed me. Like, even because with all the, the stuff and how busy and like, I'm like oh, I got to do this. Like, no, I get to do this. Yeah. This is like my prize for doing all this other stuff. Like, I get to do it. And it's, it's radically helped me. Yep. Yeah. Awesome. Small Mike way. Weinberg. Thanks, my friend. Thanks, buddy. It was really fun. Yeah. Good being with you. And uh, Mike Weinberg, uh, again, check him out at mikeweinberg.com, his newest book, Sales Truth. Uh, thanks again for being here. Thanks, man. Tune in next week for another episode of The Circuit of Success with Brett Gilliland on the lineupmedia.fm podcast network. Subscribe to the show on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and through our website, circuitofsuccess.com. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter and email any questions to info at circuitofsuccess.com. This podcast was a presentation of lineupmedia.fm. 